You can take a seat. I obviously, I don't even know why you needed to know that. First Corinthians 13 is where we're going to be, a letter to the Dallas church. This is part 11, and we've got one more week. So next week, we're going to finish this out, and then we've got a guest speaker coming in, then we're going to do a Christmas thing, then we'll be off for two weeks. One announcement I forgot about, I was just reminded of this when I was back there, um, I am speaking at Highland Park FCA this week, so if you are in FCA, thanks, Mikey. You're going to go relive the high school glory days when you were an athlete? It's good. When you were, were you a holder? You were a holder, weren't you, for football? Yeah. What would you say? Yeah, he was a starting, starting holder, to clarify, for HB football, which is great. Um, all district, I think, is, is what I remember hearing. Yeah, so anyway, se- I think it's 7 o'clock Tuesday. I don't know where it is. I actually don't know if it's at 7 o'clock. I just feel like that's when a lot of things are. But what, it is more like 7.15. Be there early. Be there at 7, okay? Um, so we'd love to see you there. I think I'm speaking. I'm actually not 100% on that, but I think I am. Um, okay, 1 Corinthians 13. It's kind of nice. There's a, we've hit some confusing things. This is not confusing. This passage is not. It's pretty straightforward. Um, I'll start by, by telling you this. Um, Thanksgiving, hope you had a good one. I am mixed on Thanksgiving food. Frankly, I don't really like it. Honestly, I think it's, I know, I think it's, that's, I know, that's a tough take. Wow. It's the most I've ever been booed. Ah, is it an American? So, yeah, it's, it's tough to admit that. I just don't think it's that good. Like, I don't think it's, I don't think it's the best. Thanks, SP. SP agrees. Heather agrees. Mikey agrees. Ross does not agree. We almost got the full team there. Think it's overrated. Um, I had a great plate though on 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 Thursday. I did a re- I did a great job with my plate, but just think it's overrated. But I I um, in having conversations about the fact that I think Thanksgiving foods are overrated. My here's my other hot take, real quick. By the way, before I tell you that, is I hate I hate eating the meal at like 3 p.m. Because a lot of people do that. You know what I'm talking about? Like people eat the Thanksgiving meal. And I'm a three meal a day person. And so I go, because that's what most people do in life. And so I go like breakfast, lunch, dinner. And so the like the 3 p.m. slot doesn't make sense to me. So I have strategically, I hate, I hope this is not being recorded this part, but I've sabotaged my family's um, Thanksgiving meal for about four years now. And so I've intentionally done things to make it start later. And so this year, I got us to about 6 o'clock, and I was so pumped. And people were like, why is everything so late? And I was like, yeah, you don't know. But anyway, I hate that part of it. But I heard this story last week, and it was about uh, a girl who, she's dating this guy, and she got invited to the boyfriend's family Thanksgiving, which is a big deal. You got you get the invite, okay? And... Um, what had happened is she didn't really like the mom because the mom kept calling her the ex-girlfriend's name accidentally. And so the ex-girlfriend's name was Janet and she kept calling her Janet. And, um, and so this girl's job was to bring the turkey. That was her job, which is really risky to give a guest that job. You know what I mean? That's a weird family dynamic, but that's what they did. I guess they outsourced the turkey to the new girlfriend. Weird deal, wouldn't have done that, but that's what they did. And she, this is a true story, she was bitter that the mom kept calling her the, um, the ex-girlfriend's name, Janet. And so she intentionally forgot the turkey. And then the, the mom was like, hey, where's the turkey? And she said, oh, I thought Janet was bringing it, okay? And you know, sure enough, right after that, she was dumped, all right? The, the relationship ended. 
So it didn't go well. Um, and so we were talking about that story and we were laughing just about that idea. And um, I was thinking about it this way. She did it intentionally, but was just thinking about if she actually forgot it, like totally just forgot the turkey. Like you just wouldn't do that for Thanksgiving. You wouldn't just forget like the main thing of Thanksgiving is the turkey. You wouldn't do that. Um, but this can happen in life. Like we can sometimes be so caught up in all the things we're doing where we're like, don't forget this, don't forget this, don't forget this. Do we like forget the one most important thing? And so you might have had this happen. Like y'all probably go electronic now, but I remember when I was in high school, this sometimes in the morning, you're so caught up in trying to get ready and doing all this stuff. And you're like, don't forget this, don't forget this. And then the one thing you forget is like the big project that you needed to bring. Okay, that happens. Sometimes we're so caught up in doing all these other things that we forget the one crucial thing. And so this can happen for us. And the same thing happens just in life and in high school and with our faith is that we spend so much time building our resume, accomplishing our goals in things that we want to be successful at, doing the social things that we want to do and so on and so on. We spend so much time that it's so easy to actually forget the one crucial thing the one most important thing, because we're so caught up in doing everything else. And so what is the one crucial thing? That's what I want to talk about today. It's, it's in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 8. And Paul, in, in one word, he's going to repeat this word a lot. The word is love. That's what he's going to say. And we, we misunderstand this. And so I'm going to give us three points today to help us understand this. This is the one crucial thing of the Christian life. It's the one crucial thing. And we often just get so caught up in other things that we miss the point. And so we just want to talk about three things today from 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 8, what it's not. So what's the one crucial thing? What it's not, what it is, and then how to get it. Okay, what it's not, what it is, and how to get it. And so I just want you to think about this before we jump into what it's not. There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible, 1,189. 89, and two of them, in my opinion, describe love more than any other chapter. The other one is 1 John 4. It's one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. I'm actually going to quote it in a little bit. Another one is 1 Corinthians 13. And so I just want you to hear this before we jump in, that no matter where you are in your relationship with God today, whether you feel close to him, whether you feel far from him, whether you're questioning if you believe in him, like wherever you're at, I believe that he planned for you to be here today to hear about a love that is otherworldly. This is a love that I think every high schooler is desperate for, but oftentimes we're looking for it in so many other places and we can't find it. It's not satisfying us. And so before we even start, I just want to tell you that the love we're going to talk about today will satisfy you with the approval of the only one in the universe whose opinion of you actually matters. That's the first thing. The second thing, it's, it will free you from needing approval and popularity from other people, which is actually behind so much of our sin and our problems in high school. And then finally, it'll send you into the world every day for a purpose that's actually worth living for. And so that's what we're going to talk about. If we really get this, that I believe that's God wanted you to be here today to hear that. And so some passages, like I said, are confusing in 1 Corinthians. This is not one of them. This one's really clear. And so it's actually one of the most famous passages in the world. A lot of non-Christians know this passage. And so you, you probably have heard parts of it. So let's just talk about this kind of, this one thing, this one crucial thing, what it's not, what it is, how to get it. So this is what it's not. This is verses 1 to 3 as Paul continues to write to this church. It's a lot like Dallas. 
He says this, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, so that's like a gift, having this amazing gift that's really impressive in the church, but I don't have love. I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, so I, I know the Bible, I'm really smart, I understand all of it, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains. I have this amazing faith, but I don't have love, then I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, so I'm like giving all my money to the poor. If I deliver up my body to be burnt, so I'm willing to even sacrifice my life for my faith, but I don't have love, then I gain nothing. And so what's, this is what it's not. Okay, what it's not, based on this, the one main thing, it's not great gifts, it's not great talents, it's not great abilities, it's not amazing sacrifices. It's not just being a good person. That's not what it is. And so that's because great gifts, talents, abilities, Amazing sacrifices without love is nothing. It's actually worthless. And so I, one time, I won a Visa gift card. You know those little gift cards that have cash on them? Yeah, I won it. And I don't know how I won it, but I won it. And I went to go buy something. And I was so excited about this because, like, I don't have to pay for this. This is free. And it turns out that this little gift that, that they gave me expired in a month. And usually it's like February of, you know, 2033. They last for like 10 years. This one, I don't even, I, I, like what even happened? And so there's nothing I could do about it. Like it completely expired. And so what happened is on the outside, it looked valuable. It was like, oh, this has $250 on it. This is valuable. But actually it didn't have any worth. It didn't have any value. And that's what Paul's saying is that there's a lot of things that look valuable on the outside, but they actually don't have value when you try to swipe the card and you get underneath it. And so this is what he's saying is that I may be really gifted. I may even be a good person on the outside, but if I don't love God and love other people, then I am loud, I'm annoying, I'm obnoxious, and I am unhelpful, just like a clanging symbol. And so what Paul's telling the Corinthians, just like he's kind of telling us, is that it's not enough to have abilities. It's not enough to achieve all these things in your life if you don't have love, if you don't have heart character that really shows in your life. So this is relatable and convicting for those of us in Dallas, isn't it? Because in Dallas, we are very much enamored with abilities, achievements, and things that are impressive on the outside. But what Paul is saying is that without love, those things don't mean anything. And so if I had to write a high school version of these verses, this is how I would say it, okay? If I have the best resume, a great GPA, I'm in the most popular group of people, I always have a boyfriend or girlfriend that others are jealous of, I'm an accomplished athlete, I'm a leader in an organization or club, I'm even seen by others as a great person. I go to every church event I know all the Bible answers, but if I don't love God and love others, then I have nothing. That's what he's saying. Okay, this is extremely convicting for those of us who live in Dallas. Now, the question is, why does he say that? Why is he saying that all these things without love is worthless? It's like the credit card that doesn't have any value on it. Because being gifted is not the same as having a changed heart. And doing good things does not mean that you're doing them out of love. And for good reasons. And so for me, I experienced this when I, early on um, when I started in ministry, when I started working for churches and doing all that stuff, it was easy for me to do good things, to lead Bible studies, to care for people, but to actually be doing it because I wanted people to like me. 
and I wanted people to approve of me. I wanted people to say, oh man, that was a great Bible study. Oh, look at how good of a minister you are. Now think about that. I am doing really good things, right? But I'm not doing them for the reason of loving God and loving others. I'm actually doing them for myself. And so it's possible to do things that look very selfless, but you're not doing them for other people. You're actually doing them for yourself. This is like the older brother in the prodigal son story in Luke 15. He's doing a lot of good things, but he's not doing it because he loves his father. And so it's possible to do good things, to even serve other people, but not do it because you genuinely love them. It's actually to make yourself look good and because you want to be loved, approved of, and needed by other people. Okay, I've talked, when, when I talk to, if I talk to high school groups, sometimes I'll use this illustration. I think I've used it here before. Um, but the reason the, ice, the, uh, the Titanic sank is because when they saw the iceberg, they only looked at the surface. And so what you, what you may not know about an iceberg is that 90% of an iceberg is underwater. Only 10% is above water. And so when the people on the Titanic saw the iceberg, they didn't realize that 90% of this iceberg is actually underwater. And so this is so true of us as well, is that the part that people see is not everything. There's something that's underneath it. And the problem is that in high school, what people are telling you to do is to spend like 90% of your time on 10% of who you are. It's to spend all your time on what people can see. How do you look? What are your achievements? What are your accomplishments? And to neglect the 90% that people don't see, and that's your heart. And so we live in a culture that values that one little thing that people can see, but not what's underneath it. And what's underneath it will either sink you or it will not. And so the way that Tim Keller says this in a sermon that he gave, and we should have honestly just played a sermon on this. It's really good. SPs have heard it as well. Um, he says this, and this is going to be a deep quote, but I'm going to explain what it means. He says that there is a difference between a morally restrained heart in a supernaturally changed heart. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to explain what it means. And you have to know what this means in high school. This is so crucial. There's a difference between a morally restrained heart and a supernaturally changed heart. This is what that means. There's a difference between being a good person or a good kid. Has anyone ever called you that? They're like, he's a good kid. She's a good kid. Um, and being someone who actually has a heart that's been changed by God's love and that loves him and loves other people in return. And that's so important. It's why a lot of people, even some of you, can maybe go to like a Christian school or something and you are in a way held back from certain sins that are maybe more prevalent in a public school. And, and it, you can be in this kind of accountability system. And so the reason you're doing good things is more because it's moral restraint. You're being held back. But once you get in a different environment, you go crazy. You know what I'm talking about? That's because the heart's the same wherever it goes. And so it's one thing to be a good person and to do good things because you're being restrained. You want to be seen a certain way. You're in a certain environment. You grew up in a certain family, whatever. It's another thing to actually love God and love others because your heart has been changed. That's a completely different thing. And so a lot of us look at people, we say, oh, that's a good person. But it doesn't mean that person has a heart that's been changed by grace. And so that's what Paul's saying, is that you can be really gifted. You can have all the accomplishments. You can even be a good person. It doesn't mean your heart's been changed by grace. So that's what it's not. What is it? Okay. Um, 
I'll ask this question before we read verses four to eight. Not to quote the song, but what is love? Okay, if you think about that, what is love? What is the first thing you think of when I say that word, love? What do most people think of when we say love? This is the problem, is that that word love can mean a lot of different things, a lot of different people, right? In our culture, this is typically what we think of. We think of romantic love. We even think of like erotic love. We think of love songs. We think of certain TV shows. We think of Valentine's Day. We think of high school relationships. We think of weddings. Maybe you're like dreaming about your wedding day. I don't know. We might think of PDA. You gotta love some good PDA. Just kidding, I hate it. No judgment. Um, I, I drove into the church parking lot this morning and a couple was exiting and they kissed each other right in front of me. And I, I rolled down the window and I said, get a room. No, I'm just kidding, I didn't do that. There, it was in a church parking lot. You can't do that. You have to show grace. I thought it though. And so we might think of that. We use love with anything. We say, I love sports. I love this music musician. I love ice cream. I love all sorts of things. I don't know. And so we love all sorts of things. And so for many, though, the problem is that in our culture, love brings to mind sentimentality and sexuality more than steadfastness and sacrifice. Okay, I'm going to say that again. In our culture, that word love a lot of times brings to our mind sentimentality and sexuality rather than steadfastness and sacrifice. And Paul knows this. He's, Corinthians are in this culture that would think of love in this way that we often do where we live. And so Paul's like, I don't want you to miss what love really is. And so in verses four to seven, I'm going to add verse eight, but in verses four to seven, Paul describes love using 15 different qualities. Seven tell us what love is and eight tell us what love is not. Okay. And so I'm going to read this to you. This is how Paul describes love. And so you've, you've probably heard this before, and I just want this to soak in you and you just to think about these words. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. He's saying love never ends. Love is permanent. And so just think about that bit. For all of eternity, love will be the appropriate response to the grace that God has shown us in the gospel. That's what we're going to be doing for all of eternity is responding to God's grace in the gospel with love. And therefore, because, and, and I want you to hear this, because love is permanent, it should take priority. Because love is permanent, it should take priority. A lot of things in high school are not permanent. Okay, I don't want to tell you not to study, but your GPA is not permanent. I don't remember my high school GPA. Okay, so take a breath. It's all good, but work hard. But don't freak out. Okay, it's not permanent. The boyfriend, girlfriend in high school, you might get married. 98% of them are not permanent. That's just statistics. Okay, and so it's not permanent. Your athletic success, it's not permanent. Okay. You can fill it in. What people think of you in high school, your reputation, it's not permanent. How many likes you get on some post, it's not permanent. And yet so many things that matter to us so much that take such priority are not permanent. And Paul's like, hey, this is permanent. Therefore, this is the one thing. It should take priority. Now, I would encourage you to memorize this list, verses four to seven. This list is amazing. If this list described us at school, it would change schools. 
they would change people. This list is incredible. This is not a random list. This is a specific rebuke of a lack of love among the Christians at Corinth. We've been talking about them for weeks. They were not patient. They were impatient with each other. They were unkind with the, to each other. Um, they were filled with envy of each other. They were boasting. They were divisive. They competed with one another. They compared themselves to one another. They insisted on their own way. And they tolerated wrongdoing. And so they laughed about and celebrated things that Jesus died for. Okay, do we do the same things today? We definitely do the same things today. And so we need to hear this list. And what you see is that what Paul is saying, that what it is, what the one main thing is, is that Christians are called to receive and to reflect the love of God. We are called to receive it and to reflect it. And therefore, we are called to love God and love others. We are called to love God supremely and to love others selflessly. At the camp that I worked at in the summers, TBRM, I got to visit there recently. I meant to put this on the screen. Is when you leave the camp, there's a sign and it says, love God, love each other. It's like a play like a champion sign, you know? Then I'll hit it when I leave, okay? So love God, love each other. And Paul's saying, that's the Christian life. Sometimes we make it so confusing. Sometimes we make it so complicated. This is the one thing that sometimes we miss in the midst of everything else. It's loving God and loving others. Jesus himself says that this is the greatest commandment and this is the mark of his people. Let me just give you a bunch of scripture here real quick for those of you who take notes. This is Matthew 22, 37 to 40 here. This, um, he, he answers, this guy asks him a question. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first, great and first commandment. A second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. I think there's 618 commandments in the Old Testament. And Jesus is saying, I can boil it down to two. Love God and love each other. John 13, 34 to 35. This is what Jesus says. He's about to die. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I've loved you. You all start to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And so he doesn't say, hey, people know you're my disciples by how much you know, by how good of a person you are, by fill in the blank. Those people will know that you're in a relationship with me by the way you love other people. First Peter 4, 8, Peter says something similar. He says, above all, so above anything else, above all else you're focused on in your life, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. In Romans 12, 2, when Paul's talking to the church in Rome, this is what he says to them about love. He says, love one another with brotherly affection. I love this second part. Outdo one another in showing honor. What he's saying is that the only competition that you should have is to try to love people better, to try to outdo one another in showing honor, okay? I'm going to do better than you at showing honor to, your, to, to me. I want to love you more than you even love me. He's saying that's the competition. All right, Ephesians 4, 1 and 2. He says, therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. How do you do that? How do you walk in a manner worthy of the gospel? You live with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. There it is, in love. And so I just want to ask you this question. What would this look like in your life today? Like, what would that kind of love look like in your life today? What would it look like if these things described the way you interacted with people in high school? Okay, this is not happening a lot, is it? This is the opposite of what's happening. What would it look like? It would change the high schools that you're in. It would change people's lives. Why? Because nearly every single person that you meet is insecure, overwhelmed, 
and under-encouraged. That's something my dad always tells me. Every person pretty much is under-encouraged. So what would it look like to leave people encouraged in experiencing kindness and compassion? See, according to Paul, what sin really is, sin is a love problem. Sin is not a knowledge problem. Sin is not a behavior problem. The reality is that we love sin more than God and we love ourselves more than we love other people. And so we, like the Corinthians, we value the outside over the inside. And Paul's saying, I have a better way for you. And he's just getting it from Jesus. He's saying there's a better way. Uh, there's a book by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce. You might have read it. If you haven't, it's really good. It's kind of trippy at times, but it's really good. And it's a fiction thing. And, and basically, he's describing the things that hold people back from God and heaven, all the different things that hold people back. And at the end of the book, we finally meet someone who's different than everybody else. Her name is Sarah Smith. And she, the reason that she's different than everyone else is she's a person of love. And the way that he begins to describe her just stands out. And then this is how he describes her in the book. Uh, this is what she says, why she's a person of love. She says, what needs could I have now that I have all? I am full now, not empty. I am in love himself, not lonely. I'm strong, but not weak. You can be the same. Come and see. We shall have no need for one another now. We can begin to love truly. She's saying, my needs have been met because I've met a love in the person of Jesus that's filling me up. And so I don't go into school anymore needing people to give me love and approval. I can freely give it. And so here's the question. How do we get that? How do we become those kinds of people? So we talked about this is what it's not. This is what it is. How do we get it? And so for being honest, when I read that list, I realize how far short I fall of that, right? I don't know about you, but when, you, when I read it, I'm like, yeah, that doesn't describe me. Like patience all the time, kindness, that doesn't always describe me. And so I've had a lot of conversations, conversations, conversations with high school students. I tried to combine two words. I've done that before and the word gets really crazy. And so that's always stressful because you can say something that could get you fired. I didn't there. That was really close though. Conversations with high school students, they just admit, just say, hey, I'm going to be real. Like, I don't feel like I love God and I don't feel like I love other people. Like, I feel like that's the thing I see in my life is the truth is I don't want God more than I want all these other things. I don't actually love him more than all these other things. You might find yourself there. I've talked to a lot of people that would say that, um, that we just would realize that. And so here's the truth. This is the good news that the beginning of change is when we realize that we don't love God and we don't love him how we should. None of us do. And so this is one thing Keller also says that repentance for lack of love is the beginning of love. When you realize that I don't love God how I should, that's the beginning of loving him as you should. Why? Because when you go back to the list, go back to the list, it's the next slide, Billy. If you read the list again, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 here, think about this. This is one thing Keller talks about, is that if you fill in Jesus' name for every one of these things, when it says love or it, what you realize is that he's the only one who perfectly fulfilled this. When you see Jesus is patient and kind, Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. You can keep going on down the list that there's only one person who perfectly lived out this list. Okay, love is not an idea. Love is a person. It's Jesus and he did it for you and me. And so think about the effect that has on you when you realize that this list describes Jesus and it describes what he did perfectly for you and for me. 
Okay, this is back to the great divorce. This is what Sarah Smith says about, uh, this is what the person that's describing her says, says the abundance of life that she has in Christ flows over into other people. It's like when you throw a stone into a pool and the waves spread out farther and farther. See, this is one of the biggest things I've learned is that to be a source of love to other people, you have to have a source of love. You have to be connected to a source of love. And what the Bible is teaching is that genuine love in your heart for God and for other people is only generated by an awareness of his love for you. And nowhere is his love for you more clear than in Jesus. Nowhere do you see his love more clearly there. So if they just think about it like this, like real change doesn't happen when someone tells you you need to change. Like when someone just gives you the rules and says, do this, that doesn't change your heart. Okay, what changes you is when you are loved. Love, not law, is what leads to life change. Okay, one of the things that I would do, um, we did this in high school a few times, don't do this, but we would go on top of the Highland Park parking garage and we'd, we'd like do the Diet Coke Mentos things and just launch that bad boy, okay? And it would fly, it was a lot of fun. And so when you, there's something weird, like Diet Coke left itself, honestly, is kind of gross in my opinion. Mentos are kind of good, but they're kind of weird. And so, but when you put them together, Diet Coke and Mentos, there's this explosion, okay? And that is how your heart is made for Jesus. Like when you take the gospel, when you take his love, and it goes into a human heart and you really get it, it causes this explosion of joy, gratitude, and love. And that's why 1 John 4.19, Bill, you're gonna have to skip a little bit here. 1 John 4.19 says this, is that we love because he first loved us, is that people who are recipients of Christ's love on the cross, when you realize that you didn't love God, but he loved you and sent Jesus, when you are a recipient of Jesus' love on the cross, you will become a reflection of his love to other people. And so that's what I want most for us. When I pray for you, when I think of us, I want us to be people who love God and love others because he first loved us. Not just be good people, not just be gifted, accomplished people. I want us to be people who love him and love others because he first loved us. And so I wanna ask you um, a few questions. I'll tell you this real quick. A lot of you have heard me use this illustration. It's one of my go-tos. I've used it in Florida. I used it this year, but it's the illustration. Some of you haven't heard, so I'm gonna say it real quick. But um, the one where I, I can't find the pen that's on my shirt, do you know what I'm talking about? And so I very often have one of these pens, these are the best, by the way, um, on my shirt and used to get made fun of for it. Now I don't care, okay? And so there was a season where I would lose these pens and I'd be like, where's the pen? And of course, where was it? I would look down, I'm like, oh, it's right there. I didn't lose it, it's literally right there. And so in this illustration, some of you've heard me use it, I'll ask the question, I'll say, what kind of idiot frantically searches for something that he already has. And that's what we do every single day. When we go into the world and we go into high school and we ask people to give us what only Jesus can, we frantically look for love and approval and affirmation and belonging and purpose when in the gospel we already have it. And so the gospel is the announcement that the pin is on your shirt. You don't have to look for it. It's been freely given to you. What you need most is to simply remember that everything you're looking for in Jesus, you already have. And when you get that, like Sarah Smith, like Paul, you can be free to love other people in return. The more you feast on that, the more free you'll be to give it to other people. And so I just want you to think about this, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing one more song, is what problems in your life 
come from forgetting and not living like you're actually loved by Jesus, like 1 Corinthians describes? What difference would it make if you actually remembered his love for you this week? And how might you remember it so you don't forget it? Okay, let me pray. God, we do thank you that you are a God who loves us, that 1 John um, 4.10 says that it's not that we loved you. It's that you loved us and you sent Jesus to be a sacrifice for us. And so, Lord, I pray we would just fix our eyes on him who fully lived out 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7 for us. Help us be blown away by that. Help, uh, help that just awaken in us a love for you and a love for other people. That we wouldn't be people that are just good, but that we would be people who have been graced in our hearts. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.